You are now tuned in to Owen's Exhibit. Welcome back, listeners. Before I get into the episode, I'd just like to give a quick rundown of what this episode is going to be about. So basically, I'm going to be co-hosting this episode with Michael, and what we did was watch the film Fresh Dressed, and this discussion is basically going to be about the origins of streetwear, which is something that was heavily prevalent in this documentary. The summary I wrote down for this documentary is, Sunday's Best is a term derived from people's approach to dressing for church. Sunday's best soon transitioned into wearing the best every day. How we got to the term streetwear is a long story, a story that involves gangs in the Bronx who represented their respective groups by wearing certain colors or symbols. When peace was made between the gangs, they began battling with their mouths. Then, b-boy style got introduced to the story. A b-boy is someone who break dances during the drum break in a song. The next point of the story is the many trends started by rappers such as airbrush tees, bootlegs, and fat laces. By the 1990s, hip-hop and rap music had become mainstream and acted as a catalyst for streetwear's acceptance by outsiders. Streetwear was a clothing category pioneered by African Americans. Thanks to their creative talents and confident spirit, we have a style of dress adopted by so many people. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome back, listeners. This is your host, Owen Patterson, and we're here today to discuss all things related to fashion and entrepreneurship. Today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little different. It's actually going to be a film review while also kind of covering the topic of the origins of streetwear. So for this review, we watched a film called Fresh Dressed. And if you're not familiar, it's for free. If you go on YouTube, you can go ahead and watch it. And I really recommend watching this because there's so much information in it. And if you really pay attention to what they're talking about, you can get so many little details that kind of also have their own stories in and of itself. So on this episode, I'm going to be speaking with a co-host who is Michael Zadi. I'm back. So we both watched this film, and now we're going to be talking about everything that it had to do with streetwear and just kind of dive into all the topics that it covered. So to begin, it's important to talk about the fact that this film really covers how African Americans in particular were the forerunners for this whole entire movement because they created the whole entire hip-hop scene and the rap scene and that's what really was the like that's what catapulted streetwear and pushed it into the mainstream so it's really important to give that note in the beginning and what the film started about talking about was the fact that slaves would go to church and they would need one good outfit for church So it was the responsibility of the slave owners to provide them with one good outfit for church. And that was really African-Americans first kind of ability to get involved in fashion and really have 
the ability to not just wear casual clothes, but really take pride in what they put on and look appropriate for a certain occasion. Right. So that's their first introduction into dressing up rather than just having on casual clothes. And also like it's shown a lot of their personality as well. Like when they went to church, they saw, you know, they brought their families with them. Um, when they were, when they had the slave owners, they were with their fellow, you know, people around them. And when they went to church, they had the opportunity to kind of release some of their personality, I guess, or kind of just look in a different setting. And, you know, it was said in the film that like the reason why these uh, slave owners would give these, give their slaves um, these church outfits was because they were trying to resemble them being good Christians, but, you know, I think they, they were slave owners. So that's not really kind <laughs> the of best contradictory. In the world, but I mean, yeah, very contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has a lot to do with the fact that they needed these outfits in order to look the part or wear something appropriate for the occasion. Right. So it wasn't necessarily them being able to express themselves entirely, but it did show that they really treated church as an avenue for being this, this figure and, and living up to this appearance of being able to look presentable and be fully dedicated to that day and that service. And then it kind of moves towards the idea that these people then were given their freedom to dress how they wanted, not only or I don't know the word is, but they're literally given their freedom and they branched out and were able to really express themselves. And it gave them a whole world of possibilities to dive into different cultures and build different creative outlets. So mm -hmm. that really brings us to the idea that after World War II and after African-Americans began getting their independence, they started or I should build on the fact that after World War II, we saw the introduction of synthetic materials. So a lot of stuff made out of oil, like crude oil, and that was anything from polyesters and all the synthetic materials that we know today that are very right. popular. And the reason those were introduced was because people needed clothes that they didn't have to tend to as much. They didn't have to it was very easy to put on these clothes and be able to wash them without having to care for them that much. And these materials were also very stretchy and relaxed. So right. these clothes kind of fed onto the idea of casualness. And that's really where the story goes. So it goes from people wearing very formal clothes for church and dressing up just for occasions occasions but then it went on to people wearing casual wear and really it shot casual wear into the entire mainstream where everybody was just wearing casual wear all the time yeah. and they were able to find different possibilities for casual wear right and like going back to the church topic like when you say that become the new statement piece it's you know, streetwear, which we're going to talk to later, but this relaxed, you know, fashion sense, that's like their new church outfit. It's like their statement piece that they're trying to resemble their personality, their passion for 
And so, yeah, I just gave him like a new outlet of how to express themselves. Yeah, this story definitely takes a odd turn because then it goes on to talking about gangs in the Bronx. And right. a big part of this story is the setting of the story. Mm. What do you think the setting of the story or why is the setting of this story so important? Right. For the listeners that haven't watched this uh, documentary yet on YouTube, uh, the setting is in New York, one of the most diverse and culturally impacted um, states or places in the world, pretty much. Uh, basically, this setting in New York is probably the most, just like the best option that this uh, documentary could have been placed. And sure, it could have been other places in the United States, but like um, it was said in the film, the setting is so important. Uh, there was a quote, it's like, New York is like a runway with fashion. You can tell people that they're from the Bronx, the Queens, Manhattan, like Harlem, anywhere. You can tell where people are from just by the way they look. So I think just by that mere fact, let alone the others that are in this documentary, New York was definitely 100% the best setting for this. Yeah, can you remember any of those looks? I remember the Brooklyn look was a mixture of like the Bronx and the Queens look. Right. I, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact like locations per look, but there was like, there was um, straight tracksuit look, very casual. There was a, uh, they had an example where like all the brands matched with each other from like the t-shirts to their shoes. There was like um, one area was a mixture of both. But um, yeah, they kept reiterating like, you went to clubs, you know, uh, concerts, music scenes, um, all this stuff. You can tell immediately, oh, that person's from Harlem. Oh, that person's from Queens and stuff like that. There was no like hesitation in the answer because each person wore and dressed in a fashion sense collected or absorbed by where they were from. And that was just yeah. by the city they lived in. Yeah. And I don't know if this is coming from my imagination, but I remember a part in the story where they said a rapper would get up on stage and you would immediately know, say, hey, oh, yeah. he's from Harlem. Wow, I remember. Like, that's that's all our person. The, like, because, I mean, rappers are, I guess, they were like, back then, they were like, oh, I hit, like, fame, I guess. So they wore these extravagant outfits, like, with patchwork and customization or things that a lot of people haven't seen. And obviously, a lot of things people can afford. So they were just, like, they were just up there on the fashion scale. Yeah, returning to the topic of gangs, what this story or what the film talked about was the idea that these gangs chose certain clothes and certain patches and certain customizations to mm -hmm. represent what gangs they were a part of. And a lot of the gangs had similar looks in the fact that they wore similar silhouettes. So a lot of them wore this leather biking vest, mm -hmm. but they had symbols and patches to make themselves look different than other gangs and right. it goes on to talk about how these gangs would wear their clothes and um man i can't find my vocabulary today but it's just for them to attach themselves to a certain gang and it went on to say these gangs would snatch each other's clothing right. and then go and put them on the telephone poles outside of their territories mm -hmm. and then see if the gang members from the other gang were man enough to come and get their clothes back. 
Yeah, that was a crazy sequence. Like they were saying like, oh, that's from this gang. There was like a scene in the documentary. Like, oh, that's from that gang. And if they're men enough, they'd come get it if they want to. But a lot of them don't. Or if they try, they don't survive. So it's like the very like harsh environment. But um, I want to ask you a question, Owen. Do you think that like how we're talking about gangs, influencing fashion, stuff like that, do you think gangs were like the first subcultures into streetwear? Or do you think there's like another group or kind of like area that kind of did that yeah if you think about a subculture or a culture in general it really has to do with people with similar values similar morals or similar approaches to life so all these Mm -hmm. gangs may have been in the same area but they all worked or operated under different rules and under different powers so they really were kind of exercising their own cultures or building on Mm. their own cultures so i would say they were kind of subcultures but they were these very um they were apart from the everyday society they weren't really a part of society so I, i wouldn't necessarily call them subcultures for society but subcultures mm-hmm. for yeah they were definitely subcultures in some way right and streetwear yeah yeah but they were very much closed off to the oh yeah society yeah. yeah i mean obviously they, they portrayed it it was like gangs obviously were you know faced police brutality and all this stuff so they definitely didn't want to be a part of like normal society they wanted to create their own world and obviously a lot of them did go down like harsh and violent paths but that's just how they roll they want to do things their way and, and so forth yeah, do you remember what, besides these leather vests, what these gang members wore? Um, the vest was definitely a big influence. Um, I remember the documentary, they talked about how time went on and they got, they kind of got rid of the vest, the vest, sorry, and they took it more as a, like, a remembrance. And then they went to, you know, screen printing on like t-shirts and sweaters and stuff like that, just to have they, they they kind of portrayed it as like they kind of went a little more clean route instead of like the harsh and violent and like edgy look they went to like more just casual clothes gym clothes sweaters t-shirts stuff like that and they would just screen print um or draw on their own their their, their gang's name their gang symbols and stuff like that so yeah that was a pretty that was a pretty interesting time because of customization which we'll get into a little bit later it's such a big factor into streetwear and fashion back in New York. Yeah, one point that I grabbed from the film was the fact that these gangs were really inspired by a movie called Easy Rider. And this had to do with, I think it was motorcycle gangs out in the West. Mm-hmm. And they would basically just get into violence and other criminal activities. But they wore this very distinct costume of leather vests and jeans and maybe even it was very western themed so cowboy boots and stuff like that and they kind of brought that into the Bronx because they saw that as like a really macho and very masculine way of dressing and like this outcast to society way of dressing yeah they, take, they can take influences for anything. So yeah, movies, entertainment, so forth. Yeah, from here, we move on to talking about B-boys. And this basically, if, or the 
definition of a b-boy is somebody who break dances during the drum break of a beat they basically get down on the floor and do a bunch of whole crazy moves so they have to have these very casual clothes that allow for them to move freely and what do you remember about or what was the dress code for these b-boys it was just like remember the most distinct thing is obviously like sneakers stuff like that hats to comfort their heads but the the baggy pants was a big deal it was like it was a very big uh dress sense with uh b-boys you know like you said they had to you know break dance uh when the beat was in the drum set or in that break where they could break it down you know <laughs> like yeah. it was just uh it's just in the times it was just a fashion sense that they you know they wore those things that to come for them but what what else uh, do you remember from b-boy i'm kind of like fogging up on that part yeah i mean i gotta return back to the gang story because i missed a very important piece of okay. that or at least a piece that i was really interested in and it was a fact about them talking about the ghetto brothers which was a gang in the bronx and i don't know if you remember the story but basically a member of the ghetto brothers called black benji he called all the gangs in the Bronx together and basically said, hey, let's stop battling. Let's stop this violence. And basically, Benji was beaten down with a bat at that meeting and he was killed. And then later on, the Black Brothers or the Ghetto Brothers went on to establish another meeting and gathering all the gangs and said, we really got to sign or we all got to commit to peace and just stopping the violence and for some time things calmed down and this is where people stopped battling physically and started battling with their mouths that's really how this transitioned into hip-hop and b-boys right it was a uh, dancing you know turntables and just like it was a lot of uh com- competition but there was no more violence pretty much Definitely. There's still that aspect of confrontation and being able to show your like masculinity because mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to call somebody out and say, Hey, let's rap battle, and then everybody gathers around, like you gotta be prepared to really say something. And I can't remember too much else from the B-boy style. It was definitely just track suits. Right. And I think a lot of the fashion sense. Yeah. It was like how people, I mean, obviously like fashions, like it's, you look how people dress and if you like it, you kind of like go with your way with it. Or if you don't like it, you just move on to the next one. There's a lot of different fashion senses and it's also portrayed in um, this documentary, how there's so many different styles and, you know, what people are comfortable with. So yeah, there's so much we could dive into about the story of the origins of hip hop and that whole movement of people being MCs or people being DJs. It was a whole entire thing, but it really moved on to MCs turning into rappers. But the the film basically goes on to talk about this idea of customization and people getting into fashion and being right. able to create clothes that were personalized to them do you remember some of these avenues for customization absolutely it was a big factor um, in the documentary also in fashion still today customization is just kind of like putting your mind and your own like i said your passion 
like what you love and also like we saw customization with the gangs that we talked about earlier, how they screen printed on their own, you know, their sweatshirts and how they did their patches on their jackets. But one, one thing that was very unique and I think we're still seeing today is the airbrush and the airbrush technique. We saw there was a big fact or a big time in New York where people would uh, airbrush their own names, their own pictures of themselves on denim jackets and they would rock those all the time. They're just like the sense of identity and they just kind of wore it, which was very unique. Um, I thought it was very cool just like how them or other designers would get paid to kind of like resemble this person for their own sense of fashion. So it was very unique. Most definitely. Yeah, the real people who are really pushing the whole customization through airbrushing were the shirt kings. They were located in NY and they did basically all the projects for people. I'm forgetting the rapper's name. I definitely have it written down. So the rapper that I was actually talking about, I believe was LL Cool J. And he was really the face of the rap movement. And everybody looked to him for fashion and style inspiration. What other ways of customization do you remember being a part of this film? There was a lot. We already talked about some with the gangs, you know, the vest that they created, the screen printing that they did that kind of like got a more clean look. But one customization that was definitely hands down that I think was the most creative and the most like standing out there was airbrushing. So we saw a lot of people uh, set this trend where that they just wanted to airbrush like their names, pictures, pictures of themselves and things that they were passionate about on like denim jackets. And a lot of them, a lot of people were just rocking those for a little bit. Um, yeah, I think that that's like the, one of the most creative ones along with like a couple other examples that we saw in the film of like just customization and putting your mind to something. But um, what other one that stood out to you on I mean, like more like a personal figure rather than just like a type of customization? One of the customizations or the ways to customize was going to the famed and world-renowned Dapper Dan. Mm. He was basically a shop owner in Harlem, New York, and he was taking luxury pieces, luxury leather, and then putting his own spin on it to create clothing items that really spoke to members of the hip-hop and rap community. And it was people like... LL Cool J and many of the other rappers that went to him and said, hey, can you make this for me? Can you make a sweatsuit that has Gucci on it? Can you make a shoes that have um, Louis Vuitton on it? And right. even I can relate this to now, basically Virgil's LV Air Force One was really inspired by what Dapper Dan did and draws a big point of reference because one of the rappers back then wore a Dapper Dan shoe on his album cover and Virgil basically said, yeah, that was my inspiration for this whole collection. But going mm-hmm. back to what the film was talking about was how big of an impact that Dapper Dan had and how he basically was the only one creating luxury products or making products that spoke to the hip hop community because these luxury right. labels weren't creating for 
these people in the hip hop community. They were definitely right. overlooking it. Yeah, like there was a quote from the film that I thought was very clever. It's like um, Dapper Dan was blackenizing designer brands. Like you said before, like, like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, all these other you know very expensive luxury brands. They weren't suiting for black people and like their fashion sense they were trying to go towards. Like for instance, like you said earlier, like the tracksuits, the baggy stuff. Like a lot of those fashion brands, they're not they're not gonna suit those types of needs because they they like clean cut. They have like a certain taste and they have long years of tradition going with these types of luxury brands. But Dapper Dan really had a he he found a loophole he, or not a loophole he found a hole in the market of fashion basically said i'm going to fill this by you know customize custom customizing sorry um using material from these luxury brands and just giving to my customers who are really seeking to kind of have that fashion or those products in their you know in their closet yeah just an interesting point from the story was big daddy came basically came to dapper dan and said wrap my whole entire interior of my right. Jeep in, I believe it was MCM leather. So Big right. Daddy Kane was rolling around in his white Jeep with this really nice interior that was entirely MCM leather. Right. Wish I had that much bread. Jeez. Yeah. He was definitely showing off. And one day, when he one sat day. down, he knew, he knew he was sitting on some bread for sure. Yeah. yeah. The next point in this story is going on to talk about streetwear brands this was really the star of brands entirely focusing on streetwear before that it was a lot of athletic brands like adidas mm -hmm. we saw run dmc really put on adidas or at least right. really introduce it to the hip-hop community and say hey this was or this is the attire for the hip-hop movement but then we see the streetwear brands become a part of it and say, we know what you want. We're going to design for you and we're going to give you clothes that really speak to your interest. So one of the first streetwear brands was Cross Colors. Do you remember right. anything specific about their story or their introduction into streetwear? I mean, I, I like a lot of the beginning uh brands there was like there wasn't as many like we talked with dapper dan a lot of um the clothing that you know black people were looking for there wasn't available like the bagginess and stuff like that cross colors as in the name it's a very colorful and vibrant uh fashion brand and it really suited um for those that are really looking for it but yeah what else did you have on cross colors is that i'll have that money i don't have that much on it I can't remember too much else from their story. Basically, they took inspiration from West Coast culture and the mm -hmm. street or the surf and skate culture and right. incorporated these. Or their like really themed colors are green, orange, yellow, so really bright colors. And right. it was basically just connecting or being a very inclusive brand they basically spoke to everybody in the hip-hop community not only african-americans but everybody else who really appreciated the whole entire culture right and definitely and then, yeah it, go ahead sorry just the cross color was such a big starting brand for streetwear 
that it just evolved. The whole streetwear category just evolved into all of these brands, like so many, starting from like, you know, like the same stories, cross colors, like just starting a brand to, you know, rappers starting their own brand with the same type of look and material. It just evolved into something that just turned into like an own category, which is very fascinating to me. Yeah, we saw the first rapper or the first brand that was established by a rapper or somebody in hip hop was Rockaware. And that was founded by Damon Dash, who was also mm-hmm. the founder of Rockefeller Records. He was the mm-hmm. one that worked okay. with Jay-Z and all these other big names. And basically he was in it. He didn't know if this was a viable business. He didn't know if a lot of people were going to see his clothes and really want them and if it was going to be accepted by the hip hop community. And at initially it really wasn't, it was really overlooked and not too many people were wearing it. And I can remember that they later talk about how all these other brands really started or all these other rappers really started making their own brands. And it wasn't until later that people really appreciated rock aware. It was kind of overlooked and I guess people were just caught up in whatever was coming out next. So a lot of rappers just jumped on and said, Hey, I'm going to start making my own clothes. And the consumers didn't know if it was a money grab or not. Right. And I think with that, like how, you know, especially with all these rappers trying to get in the mix of creating their own brand, there was like a heavy oversaturation of streetwear brands at the moment. You know, how we started, we talked about earlier, how it started with, you know, just cross colors, really dominating and showing that this is possible, starting your own streetwear brand, stuff like that. And then eventually we see so many others in the similar stories coming up. And like uh, another big thing was getting rappers to wear their brands and be the face of the brand and just bring more customers into wearing those, those brands essentially it turned into oversaturation. We saw a lot of, um, we saw too many brands at the moment. It like when it was in that setting and it was really a big, um, massive effect on the fashion industry in a really negative way. Cause it was just like, it was too much, it was too much going on. And like you said earlier, people are just looking for the next thing and they couldn't go back. Yeah. Relating to what you said, it was basically rappers wearing, clothes from really big companies so you saw these big companies wanting rappers to endorse their clothes so they basically went to wear ralph lauren tommy hilfiger and we're actually going to have another episode talking about ralph lauren so definitely Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that episode but talking about this these rappers were really inspirational and influential to the whole entire hip-hop community so it was really important for these big companies to say hey how about you wear my clothes for free yeah throw them on if you like them do a photo shoot yeah yeah Yeah. and then these rappers noticed hey i can make my own stuff exactly we're gonna buy it if i'm wearing it so it really moved from big brands dominating the space to smaller brands that were founded by the true people in the community like the true the genuine i guess people of the community 
And then it just and a lot of these a lot of the big brands they had a downsize because there were just so many competitors in the market then. Like they could they weren't making their numbers. There was a lot of uh profits losing, there was like lost the profit and stuff like that. There, there was too much competition going on, and a lot of them actually went bankrupt. If their product wasn't good enough and they weren't competing well, they they went out of business. That's how a lot of them went out. Yeah. The next point in this story is the globalization of hip hop and that's what really pushes streetwear into the mainstream and mm-hmm. makes it this really recognized and known way of dressing right so it was really the rappers and all these people musicians that were really pushing this whole entire streetwear thing yeah and there's two parts to that there was like one oh these guys are global icons they have such good music. They're the face of the brand and stuff like that. But some people didn't really listen to their music. They, I, this is a really interesting fact that I learned from the documentary. It's like people would just buy the albums because of the, you know, obviously they didn't have digital albums back then. They had the cassette tapes or they had, you know, the discs and stuff like that, CDs. But it was because of the album art and what the, those artists are wearing. And sometimes it's not like those big brands like cross colors, like they're they're endorsing those brands. It's like just how they dress. Like we talked about earlier, how people have their own sets of fashion, whether they're from Harlem or Manhattan or wherever, even all across the country. It's just like how they dress is just gravitated people towards their music and they didn't really care. So that was a very interesting fact. Like not only was it the music that was selling their music but it was just how they dressed yeah to cap this story off basically the next step is them talking about big pants in the 90s and then Mm -hmm. you had brands like carl kanai echo and you saw sean john come into the space and they basically put a twist on the whole entire sheetwear thing and kind of made it luxury and Mm -hmm. we just kind of saw this movement from rappers doing their own brands then people kind of moving back to big companies so they went back to ralph lauren and maybe they even went back to wearing gucci and very high luxury high-end luxury products so basically it's things repeating itself so as you know trends always repeat themselves and that's really where the story ends and kind of leads us to the point of talking about how the internet and it didn't really do a great job of explaining it but they basically said the internet lets people dress freely or lets people dress individually and i i guess that's really where i can stop talking because i didn't really see that as fitting or it kind of only talked about the 2000s because that was the first or that was where the story left off and they really hadn't seen the true impact of the internet. So I think like from an overall perspective, there was something that like this documentary did really well. It's like, they talked about fashion in this way. It's fashion was the one thing people could just show off. They could really show off their personality, what they were about. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the houses they had, the jewelry, the cars, any of that stuff. It was about how they dressed how they were in a public setting and just, you know, how they started this documentary, you know, they were just super fresh, how they, you know, just were fresh outside and public and whatever. 
it's just that's that's something the documentary did really well it was just like how people just wanted to you know be looked at and they obviously didn't have the funds for all the glamorous and extravagant things but they could and they could rock a, a good outfit definitely well michael thanks for joining me this week and I hope everybody listening enjoyed this and learned something new from this. So that's all for this episode. If you're not already, go follow the Instagram, the podcast Instagram at owens.exhibit on Instagram. And I really appreciate all the support. So this is Owens signing off.